Hi, I'm retired NYPD Detective Vic Ferrari, and welcome to NYPD Through the Looking Glass, where you'll get unique insight into the New York City Police Department. Before we get started, I encourage you to check out my Amazon author page, where you'll find my series of behind-the-scenes NYPD books. They make $10, great $10 reads and $2.99 ebook downloads, and if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can basically read them for free. I hope everyone had a safe and healthy thank, uh, Christmas. Um, it's funny, I went to the gym yesterday, and my gym was packed. I mean, packed to maximum ca capacity of people, try, I guess, trying to walk off the calories after feasting for the last couple of days. Uh, we're less than a week away from New Year's Eve, and most of you will have a pretty good idea of where you're going to be ringing in the new year. Well, up in New York, the New York City Police Department, as we speak, is putting the finishing touches on the security detail for the Times Square 42nd Street detail, watching the ball ring in and Ryan Seacrest and all that. And I have to tell you, working that as an NYPD cop and detective, it's a miserable night. I worked it probably 17 out of my 20 years with the New York City Police Department. And we're going to get into what cops have to endure. But I want to walk you through the process of how the whole thing gets put together, like a backstage pass or a behind-the-scenes look at Disney World. So in a day or so, or maybe they've already started, one police plaza or one PP sends out a request for manpower to every NYPD precinct in the 77 of them and probably every specialized unit in the department, and there's countless. So the phone, calls start, the phone calls go out to the administrative lieutenants or sergeants at, at each of these commands, and an admin, what their job is in a precinct or a specialized unit is scheduling. They make sure guys are going to court. If a detail comes up, they make sure you're going. They, they just make sure everything is running smoothly. And I get this is like the shit part of their job. When these notifications for manpower come for protests or a Times Square thing, now they got to run around. they got to put a roster together. So every precinct probably gets a request for at least 10 to 20 people, probably more in the larger precincts. So it's, depending on where you work, it goes on. If it's a place where it's not too cutthroat, it goes on the merit system. So like in my office, when I worked in the auto crime division, you come into work like today or tomorrow, and there'd be a roster right above where you sign in, and it'll say Times Square detail. The following members must report at 1,600 hours, which is 4 p.m., hats and bats, which means helmet and nightsticks. And you see it, and you go, oh, crap, I got grabbed. In a precinct... Probably what will happen is they'll have the roster up, but they hunt guys down like bounty hunters. Like they'll grab guys and hand them a piece of paper and make them sign for it. Like you work in Times Square and that's it. And once those notifications come down for manpower, that's when the jockeying for position begins. So guys and girls will pull every trick in the book to try to get out of working Times Square on New Year's Eve. You'll start seeing people going sick. And then I guess the health service division has a whole protocol on how to weed that out. But in, at the precinct level and the command level, that's when guys start calling in favors or go into their administrative lieutenant or sergeant with sob stories. And some of these guys give Academy Award-winning performances. Like, my wife is going into labor. I heard another one. My father is on his deathbed, and this is going to be the last New Year's Eve I get to spend with him. So whatever excuse you can possibly imagine... Guys are working these admins so they don't have to get put on the roster. And it can get quite nasty. I've seen guys come to blows in the locker room 
or in the precinct parking lot over one guy pulling a fast one and basically not working that detail, getting out of it for whatever reason. And it's supposed to go by seniority. So if you got a guy with like seven or eight years on and a guy with five years was supposed to go, when he pulls a fast one and the guy with eight years has to go, it can get nasty. It, it really can. I've, I've seen it. And, you know, and, and sometimes the resentment can last for years. There was a guy that I worked with, great guy, a really sharp detective, did a lot of big cases, and he was in his 16th, 17th year, and he got hit with the New Year's Eve detail. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he went to the administrative lieutenant. He says, listen, you know, I'm not supposed to be working this. I have seniority. And the admin said, listen, you know, we've had a lot of guys bang in, a lot of circumstances. you got to work it. So he went to our lieutenant in our office, and he said, Listen, I'm not supposed to be working it. My lieutenant really wasn't sympathetic, and he goes, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Y you have to work. And this cop took it so bad that, I mean, for the next couple of years, he was miserable, and he made everybody miserable around him. Like, he went from being an all-star to barely doing his job, and then everybody else had to pick up the slack around him. He just didn't care anymore. It was like that one day, that one had to work, that he had to work in Times Square on New Year's Eve, Basically, he, he didn't give a shit about anything for the next couple of years, and it made it rough on us because we had to pick up the slack. And, it, and the funny thing is, like, the department on that day wants bodies, and I was talking to a friend of mine who's a sergeant. He would know better than me. I was always under the impression that Times Square on New Year's Eve, they would send 5,000 NYPD members down. He, he put it at 7,000. So the department really doesn't care if the rest of the city burns down on New Year's Eve. They want Times Square safe because it's a national event. It's on television. It gets it gets a lot of coverage. So they really don't care about the rest of the city. The, the precinct at the precinct level is probably on minimum man, manning. So you get your notification. You're screwed. You got to work Times Square on New Year's Eve. So in my office, when I worked in the auto crime division, they would be <laughs> so. Auto crime usually used to send about 20 people down, and it's a small unit. Like the auto crime division is 120 detectives, and there was 20 in the satellite office in the Bronx where I worked, and then in our Queens office there was like 100. But it always seemed like there was 10 cops out of the 15 or 20 in the Bronx office because we were kind of the redheaded stepchildren, but whatever. So the 10 of us would meet up at the precinct. So say we had to be down in Manhattan you know, for uh, to sign, sign in, but to be there at 4 p.m., We'd get to our office 2.30, 3 o'clock, and we'd start getting dressed, and we'd be in the locker room complaining and bitching, I can't believe I got to do this. And you're going to be on your feet for 8, 10, 12 hours, depending on how long it goes, and it's cold depending on the year. So I used to put on like four or five different sweatshirts. So I looked like Robbie in a Christmas story where I could barely raise my arms above my head or, or the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters. And guys had all sorts of stuff like heated socks I saw one year. One guy always used to buy a bunch of hand warmers where you took them out of a bag and you punched it and it got really hot and you'd stick it in your gloves. One guy burned his hand on those one year. So then what you do is we would take department vehicles. You're not supposed to, but everybody does it anyway. <clears throat> the department wants you to take public transportation down there. Like, yeah, right. So everybody, we would jump into a couple of police cars, unmarked cars, we would drive down, and you can't park at a precinct because 
there's just too many people coming from the five boroughs, NYPD members, to park near a precinct. They've got their own problems. So sometimes you'll see at a precinct, like during a big detail like that, the precinct will have cops outside telling other cops you can't park here. So we'd have to find parking on the west side over uh, in the Hell's Kitchen area, and hopefully you could find a spot, and then we would have like a police placard that hopefully would avoid us getting a ticket from a meter maid or a traffic enforcement agent. So you find parking, and you make your way over, and there's different zones. So say for argument's sake, our meeting spot was 43rd Street and 7th Avenue, right? You'd meet there, and there'd be probably you know, close to 1,000 cops, so, well, cops and detectives. So what you do is they line you up in rows of eight for a head count. And while they're counting you, you pray that the auto crime division, like somebody from your unit, they sent a couple of supervisors in addition to detectives and cops because you want to work with one of your own. You don't want to get stuck with some shaky new guy or a precinct guy or... It could make for a long night. So you hope that they send a couple of supervisors from your command down. So while you're getting counted, the bosses pull all the sergeants, the lieutenants to the temporary headquarters vehicle, and they read the riot act. God forbid one of your guys, somebody under your, you know, under your supervision gets caught drinking or sleeping or disappearing. Heads are going to roll, and they really like put the fear of God into these supervisors. Then after the supervisors return from their flogging, they have a piece of paper, and each sergeant can put eight cops or detectives on their roster. So again, if you, you have your supervisor with you, he's going to put his guys on the roster. So he gets eight guys under him, and he turns in his roster. And so every sergeant is responsible for eight cops or, so, uh, cops or detectives, Every lieutenant is, and I don't know this exact numbers, but let's just say every lieutenant is responsible for eight sergeants, and every captain is responsible for ten lieutenants. So you see how this goes. There's, there's a pecking order. So you're going to get your assignment, and the sergeant will say, yeah, we're going to be at 42nd Street and 8th Avenue. So that's your post, for argument's sake. So the first thing they do, so now it's about 4.30. The first thing they do is they start sending guys out to meal because you're not going to take, you're not going to go out on your meal or lunch or dinner hour when crowds are there. So between 4.30 and 6.30, that's, you know, when you get your hour break, they give it to you up front. And that neighborhood is quite expensive. I mean, you're in the theater district. No NYPD member is going to spend $35 for a hamburger. So it's fast food. And you're in a fast food restaurant at McDonald's and Wendy's. And those places get crowded on that night because you got everybody coming in from New Jersey and Long Island. So you're trying to eat a hamburger in a crowded McDonald's and you got some guy from New Jersey asking you a million and one questions like, where's the best place to view it? And it's like, I, I don't know. So after you get something to eat, you come back to your post. And if again, if you have your own sergeant, he's going to say, all right, this is what we're going to do. It's freezing out tonight. I don't expect you guys to be out here. 12 hours, what we're going to do is we're going to break it up every half hour or every 15 minutes, depending on where you are and if there's a place you can hide and warm up somewhere. And a lot of these buildings, the doormen are great. Yeah, come on in. There's a coffee maker back there. You can use the bathroom. And that's the thing, what people don't realize. I hear from so many people that want to go to Times Square on New Year's Eve, and they tell you, oh, my God, that's on my bucket list. You actually worked that? I'm like, listen, get another bucket list. If you want, go run with the Bulls in Spain. Stay the hell out of Times Square on New Year's Eve. It's a nasty night. 
So we put those barriers up. And when you see from high above, when they're showing everybody, you know, celebrating and everything, those people are pinned in like cattle. So each block has two pens and those people are squeezed together. And I mean, it can get quite violent in there and disgusting. I've seen, <laughs> I've seen people urinate in the crowd. People get felt up in the crowd. One year I watched a woman throw up on another guy's back, right? Like a champ. Then she changed the tampon in the crowd and then went back to smoking a cigarette. I kid you not, it, it's some of the nastiest stuff that I've ever seen in my life. And depending on the year, again, I've worked it so many times, it, it just depends on how crazy it is. The worst year that I ever worked at Times Square Detail on New Year's Eve was the Millennium because one police plaza really was under the impression that, A, there might have been a terrorist attack, and you did have a lot of lunatics thinking that the world was going to come to an end. So you had a lot of religious people down here, down there with bullhorns telling people to repent. There were a lot of scam artists. There were a lot of people down there selling crap. You get that too. You get a lot of people selling horns and noisemakers and, you know, glasses with the year on it and all sorts of plastic crap. And people are drunk and they buy this stuff and then they get it home and they're like, what, why, why the fuck did I even buy something like this? And again, it, it just gets so crazy down there. Like one year, it was getting close to when the ball dropped. It was probably about 11.45 or something. And there were these four or five guys in the crowd. And the whole night they were acting up. Yelling, screaming, people were coming to us. You know, they're getting rowdy, blah, blah. They, they hadn't crossed that line where we could lock them up, but it was getting there. And, you know, you can't keep an eye on it. There's alcohol is forbidden going in there. So before you even get into the pens, there's zones you have to pass. And nowadays, after 9-11... They probably nowadays have magnetometers, but back then you would search people basically like go through their bags and stuff to see if they have a weapon or they weren't allowed to bring alcohol in there. But these guys must have snuck alcohol in there. There's about four or five of them and the whole night. They're breaking balls. They're tormenting us and people are saying, you know, these guys are loud. This guy stepped on my foot. But again, they didn't cross the line. Well, as the ball's about to drop, they're really getting out of control and now they're spitting at us. Now they're throwing bottles at us, and the crowd, they really worked up this crowd into a lather. So I forget, the sergeant that was with us is like, all right, we're going to go into the crowd and lock these guys up. It's just, it's too crazy. We got to get them out of there. It's not safe. We're like, all right, boss. So everyone's getting their nightsticks ready. About four or five of us got our helmets on. We're trying to figure out how we're going to get into this crowd to grab these guys. And just before we, you know, start climbing over those wooden barriers or going underneath them to get at these guys, you see these, this stream of liquid shoot over our shoulders. It was like with laser-guided precision. Like, what the, what the hell was that? And the next thing you know, you see, the, you see these four or five guys rolling around on the floor, screaming, holding their eyes. And we turn around, and there's this old-time cop from a precinct, and he's got his mace out or pepper spray. And we're like, oh, wow, why, why didn't we think about that, you know? <laughs> But And it was so funny because anyone else would have done that. We would have maced the whole crowd. This guy must have been really good at it because, like I said, it was like bing, bing, bing. He just hit three or four of them in the face within seconds of each other, and these guys were out. They just were rolling around on the floor, and they, they, they knocked off the bullshit. You know, we didn't have to go in there and arrest them. Another time, my friend reminded me of this story. One year, the band Fish... They usually, you know, thought uh, they, they they usually have a bizarre following that goes with them everywhere. Um, they were at Madison Square Garden one New Year's Eve, 
And what winds up happening is some guy comes out of the fish concert high as a kite. And, you know, the, you have NYPD mounted cops all over the place for crowd control. And this guy walks up to the horse and just takes a swing and cracks the horse in the side of the face. So bef- the cop is in shock sitting on top of the horse. And before he can jump off the horse and give this guy a kick in the hole, there was a bunch of sanitation workers on overtime that, that do the cleanup. They come running over with the push handle sticks and they beat the shit out of this guy. And then they disappear into the crowd. And the mounted cop didn't even have to get off his horse. The horse was fine. He just kind of walked away and they left the guy there in a bloody mess. But the sanitation, you know, they always talk about police brutality. Those sanitation workers basically did the cop's job. So after the ball drops, that's when chaos erupts. Bottles start getting thrown. People are just hugging and kissing and you got the drunk in the crowd that's been hitting on every girl the whole night and they've been blowing him off now he's trying to get his tongue down somebody's throat and while everybody's licking up and carrying on and hugging and kissing what people don't realize is the hood rats come up from the bronx and manhattan and brooklyn and staten island queens you get all these hood rats young guys they come up and they're sober as a judge and it's kind of like watching the hyenas on the Discovery Channel. They're sizing people up, and they're trying to figure out who has what. Like, that guy's got a Rolex. She's got an iPhone. She's got a brand new, she's got a shot glass engagement ring on her finger. And they're sizing people up. And they know the cops aren't going to be there the whole time. So after about 45 minutes after the ball drops, right, we start breaking down the barriers. And these guys know people usually the only really way out of there is most people either start heading to the west side or they start heading for the trains and they start their jackals, man. They just follow these people a couple of blocks off the set where there's no cops. And then about 10 minutes later, people start running up to us with knots on their head or a bloody lip. I got robbed. What do you look like? I don't know. There was four of them. They were wearing hoodies. I got robbed. He took my ring. He took my iPhone. So. If you're going to go down there, don't wear jewelry, don't flash jewelry. You know, don't let people know you're drunk. Even, you know, just lay low if you're going to go down there. Don't bring anything that can get stolen and, and keep your wits about you and realize if you're going down the street and a bunch of people are following you, head another direction or call for help. So after the barriers get broken down and people start heading away, San- Department of Sanitation comes, and I can't believe how quick they clean that place up. They really do a fantastic job. Department of Sanitation really doesn't get enough credit for a lot of things they do in New York, and that's including getting snow removal during the storms, and they break their asses. But on New Year's Eve, they start coming through with those sanitation trucks and the street sweepers and the push brooms. The next day, you would never think that that, that event happened. There's like next to no confetti left. So after everyone leaves and sanitation does their job, we, you return back to where you had the head count first. So you go back to your zone where they did the head count. And usually it's pitch black because the lights are off. So you've got a couple hundred or thousand cops standing around in the dark. First thing everybody does is they go into their memo book and they pull out an overtime slip. And everybody starts filling out their overtime slip, but you're leaving the dismissal time blank. You put everything, you fill everything else in there, the code or the detail, your name, your tax number, your shift, and you want to get your supervisor to sign it. Now, if it's one of your supervisors, no big deal. You're going to see him in the car ride home or you'll see him the next day. But if you've got some sergeant from the 13th Precinct or Manhattan South, you need, you got to find that guy and get him to sign your overtime slip. 
And in the way the NYPD works is, especially like on a detail, all those, so the sergeant's got a roster of eight guys. The sergeant counts up, where's, where's, where's Ferrari? Where's Nicholson? Where's that one? He's got to see everybody. He's got to account for everybody. Then what he does is he, fills, he signs that roster that, he, that his guys are with him. That roster gets turned in, and they want to go down the line and make sure everybody that got there is there at dismissal time. They don't want to hear someone disappeared, someone vanished, someone home for the night. No one is getting dismissed until everybody is accounted for. And from what I was told, there's a reason for this. In 1984, there was a, uh, there was a female transit cop and her partner were chasing a guy that did a chain snatch. And they split up, and she caught up to the guy, and the son of a bitch got her, his gun, got her gun away from her, and he killed her. And while she lay dead in a vacant lot, her partner didn't know. He figured she just kind of didn't catch the guy, and she went back and signed out. So he signed out, and nobody knew this poor female cop lay dead. Her name was um, Irma Fran Lazada. And I think that changed the way NYPD looked at things as far as everybody's got to be accounted for before we send everybody home. And matter of fact, the scumbag that killed police officer Lozada with her own gun was just released from prison a few years ago. Yet another bang up job from the New York State Parole Board. The people they parole should have to live next door. Then you'd see how fast this crap would stop. Experiments are great when you're not subject to them. So what happens is you're standing out there in the dark and some supervisor, a captain or a lieutenant or chief will come out of the temporary headquarters trail and go, okay, everyone, dismissal time is at 0300, 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., depending on what time. Good night, everybody, and thank you. And that's, <laughs> that's when the fun begins because then you see car- guys, it's like it, it, you're in pitch black and it's like a sea of blue racing in different directions and guys want to get to their cars. Some guys bring a change of clothes and they're going out right from there. Other guys just want to get the hell home. Or other people, because the bars in New York City are open till 4 o'clock in the morning. So people want to maybe get a couple of cocktails in before the end of the night. So that, that's a mad rush. And one year, it's like my 17th or 18th year. It wasn't my last year, but it was, it was close to one of my last years. Was standing in the dark, and it's about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I turn to a guy who I still keep in touch with to this day, and I go, I'm going to dismiss the crowd. He goes, what? I go, watch this. And we're in the dark. There's a couple of hundred or thousand cops. And I go, oh, 300. Thank you, everybody. And everybody starts going like the red part of the Red Sea. And you hear the supervisor trail. No, no, no. Stand by, stand by. But it was too late. Everybody was going in different directions. So out of the 17 times that I worked at Times Square Detail in New Year's Eve, only once did I volunteer for it. It was late in my career. And I wanted to build up overtime for my pension, and I volunteered to work it. Other than that, I got drafted, and I was not happy about it. I mean, yeah, you're going to make overtime. I mean, if, if it's your day off, then you're going to make crazy overtime, 12, 13, 14 hours, potentially. Or if they just do a tour change, you're going to pick up four or five hours. But it, it's a rough night. Again, you're on your feet all day. You've got all that equipment. That gun belt is just pulling at your back the whole night. You're carrying around a nightstick. You're wearing a helmet. Okay, so, I mean, it, it's it's heavy duty. You have a headache. And the next day, I always felt lousy. I felt like I had gotten beat up just lugging around all that equipment. 
So if you're going to go out on New Year's Eve, please, please, please take an Uber, designated driver, stay over. Maybe that'll work out for you. Maybe it won't. Um, don't catch a DUI. It's just not worth it. God forbid you kill somebody. Your life is over. You're going to jail. I, I, I knew a cop, really good guy, um, sharp as a tack. I don't want to go too much into who he is or anything, but he he should have retired, and he didn't, and he stayed around too long, and he had too much to drink, and unfortunately he got into a car accident, and someone was killed, and he wound up going to jail, and it's terrible because he's he's a really good guy, and it it changed the trajectory of his life forever. Well, <laughs> I know I feel bad now, like I dragged a dead cat into the room, but I hope you enjoy my stories. And from working Times Square on New Year's Eve, I hope I gave you an understanding of how it works. And always, I want to thank everyone for tuning in, especially my listeners in Ledyard Center, Connecticut, Oswego, Illinois. Glacier Bay, Nova Scotia, and Lenox, Illinois. If you work in law enforcement or have an interesting criminal background and you're out of jail, not in jail, like some guys have contacted me that are in jail and I'm like, dude, I I don't want to get involved in this. And you would like to be a guest on the show, send me a note, drop me a note on Twitter or Instagram at VicFerrari50. If you like the podcast and you're savvy enough could you please leave me a review on apple or spotify kind of helps build my audience if you enjoy the content please check out my amazon page type in my name vic ferrari like the car where you can preview all my books for free including nypd law and disorder and it's funny because this is kind of like we're talking about Times square new year's eve and you got some poor cop getting screamed at by a, by a white shirt with a, with a meg- megaphone or bullhorn and that's, that's basically that photo sums up working for the NYPD at a detail. Another show you another book, the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos. There's a story in there about a cop who stole a horse and carriage for a wild ride through Central Park. The name of this podcast, NYPD Through the Looking Glass, was named after a book. It's got a lot of funny and interesting stories. NYPD Law and Disorder. Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division. Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. This book, you know, my first book, I really don't promote it that much because it doesn't have anything to do with the NYPD, but it is funny. It's called Dickheads and Debauchery and Other Ingenious Ways to Die, and it's about the ridiculous things that people do to shorten their life expectancy, running with the bulls, going to Times Square, eating too much. And it's funny, when I, I, got, when I came up with the title, I had to come up with a book cover. And when I was doing it, I'm going back and forth with the graphic artist or designer. And he goes, what do you want? And I go, put a fat guy on a ladder drinking a can of beer doing something dangerous. And they knocked it out of the park. If, if you want to see what I look like or get a different idea of the podcast, go on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel with this podcast. It's the same name, NYPD Through the Looking Glass. I'm starting to pick up a little traction with YouTube, but I don't know why. That, that's just a little more challenging. I want to thank everyone for tuning in, and please have a safe and happy New Year's Eve, and I'll have another episode out next week. Take care.